0: So the big question is this, how do investors like us get access to the ideas, information, and most importantly, the right people that give us the tools and information we need to make informed and educated decisions to have success? That is the question, and this podcast will give us the answers. This is Mark Moss, your host. Let's get this started. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Market Disruptors Podcast. Today, I am in the studio with you alone. I don't have a guest today because there are some things that I wanted to talk about, um, some big things that we've been talking about on the Market Disruptors YouTube channel, and some things that have been in the news that I wanted to talk to you about today. And I just didn't have the right guest to bring on. So I thought, you know what? I'm just going to go in there solo and we're going to talk about a couple topics. And what I want to talk about today is I want to talk about the history of money. I'm not going to go super deep into this, but coming from We're going to go look at the transition from when Britain was the world superpower and it passed the baton off to the United States. The U.S. dollar took the reserve status of the entire world. How that transition took place, because that's super important to understand how that happened. The reason why it's important to understand how that happened is because we have a very similar situation happening right now today. And if you don't understand what happened the last time, the signs that you're seeing today don't make any sense. And we're in a situation today where we're seeing the exact same things. And we're in a big transition period right now in history. I don't think most people really understand how transitional this time period is that we're in right now. I believe that In the future, 100 years from now, people will study this time period to think about how interesting it was. I mean, they're going to look at this and just think, what the heck was happening? Um, But we're living through this. We're living, I mean, right now we're in 50 years into a monetary experiment. 50 years. I mean, we have 5,000 years of history where basically gold was money. We're 50 years into this monetary experiment. And the crazy thing is that we're only 50 years into it, but Because the history hasn't really been taught to everybody, people don't understand this. They think this is just the way it is, but it's not. And so I think in 100 years, we'll look back at this period and think how crazy this is. Now, I don't want to drag this on too long, so I'm going to try and get through this pretty quickly. I'll give you the Cliff Notes version of this. And so basically, um, the United States is the world superpower. The United States dollar is the reserve currency of the world. What that means is that the U.S. dollar basically runs the world. We have all the assets of the world, gold, oil, et cetera, are priced in U.S. dollars. And when countries want to trade between them, they have to trade into dollars. So they trade from their local currency to dollars and from dollars back to the next local currency. So everything goes through the dollar, through the SWIFT system. If you've ever sent a wire, you know what the SWIFT code is. You understand what the SWIFT system is. Um, It's the banking system. So all the money goes through the SWIFT system, through the Federal Reserve. And the dollar managed to maintain its uh, power because of this because this dollar maintains this status, it allows the United States to get away with things that other countries cannot get away with, like inflating their currencies. But before we get into that, let's go back in history just a little bit. And I'm going to catch you guys up on this. All right. It's super interesting. Hopefully, hopefully you guys enjoy this as much as I like it. Uh, Maybe I'm just a history nerd. But if we go back, so the US is the the superpower, the reserve status um, of the world, but it hasn't always been that way. So before the United States, it was Great Britain. Before Britain, it was France. Before France, I believe it was um, Spain, and it was Portugal. So going back to the 1400s, we've seen it just switch over and over and over. Portugal, Spain, um, France, and then after the Napoleonic Wars, it went to Britain. Britain became the world superpower. The sterling was the reserve currency of the world. And what happened is right around World War I, Britain was running out of money. Britain needed money to fight these wars. And what they did is they began to take on debt. They began to borrow money. They went from a creditor nation to be starting to become a debtor nation. And the United States was happy to become the creditor nation at that time. And so the United States and the banks, J.P. Morgan, etc., started loaning the British money, um, to fight the wars, to supply weapons, etc. And as more and more debt was accumulated, of course, as you would imagine, the worst shape that the country became in. And at the end of World War One, at that point now, the sterling was so weak, Britain was under so much debt that the dollar, now the U.S. became a creditor nation, we know and we know that the borrower is servant to the lender so the serv the, the servant the borrower britain was now in a bad situation and now the united states was in a creditor situation they had power the dollar had power. The dollar now was challenging the sterling for reserve status in the world. All right, but it didn't just take it over. It became it, be, it became to the point where it could challenge it. And now we saw kind of the sterling and the U.S. dollar kind of sharing this reserve status. All right, and over a period of years and years and years, we saw it go back and forth, back and forth. The reason why it's, this is important to understand is because a lot of people think that the U.S. dollar is and is may, well, a lot of people may think it's going to be here forever. Uh, we know from history that nothing lasts forever and it's eventually going to change. And then a lot of people that do think it's going to change are waiting for that one big thing to happen, the one big thing. But it's important to understand that it's not one big thing. Most things in life aren't one big thing. It's about the small things that happen over long periods of time. And so when we look back at when the baton was transferred from Britain to the United States, we can also see this, that it happened over a long period of time. All right. So the, the, the sterling got weak. The dollar got strong. Um, The dollar now is challenging Britain for reserve status of the world, for the world superpower position, and then came World War II. Britain wasn't recovered yet. They couldn't handle World War II. Well, now both the United States and Britain were going into debt. Both of them were overextending themselves to go into World War II, but luckily for the United States at the time, gold started flowing into the country as the United States was exporting supplies, gold started flowing back in. So the United States was able to come out of this because it had enough exports to bring money back in. And at the end of World War II... Britain and the Sterling were just in too bad of shape. The United States came out ahead. It had stockpiled a bunch of golden assets. And in 1944, at the Bretton Woods Agreement, it was basically a done deal. The world got together. The world, the the biggest of the countries of the world, got together. Um, in the United States, they signed this Bretton Woods Agreement, which basically said that the United States would become, you know, the reserve currency of the world, and they would hold the gold, and they would keep U.S. dollars pegged to gold. And they would always redeem $35 for every one ounce of gold. That was the agreement. That's what everybody agreed to. And then all the countries of the world started sending their gold over to the United States. The United States held everybody's gold. They printed dollars. And they kept it at $35 for one ounce of gold. That was the deal. But what happened, that was in 1944. Over a period of time, five years, 10 years, 20 years goes by, well, the United States wants more dollars. But now they can't because they're supposed to be pegged to $35 for each ounce of gold. But they did anyway, and they printed more dollars, and they printed more dollars, and they printed more dollars. And the agreement was is that they would the United States government would always redeem dollars for gold. So anytime somebody came, they would accept their dollars and give them their gold back. And as the countries, as the other countries became aware of what was going on, that the United States was inflating their currency, right? When they inflate their currency, that means they print more, they increase it, They increase the amount of currency out there. It devalues it, devalue. It takes the value away. Think about that. Inflation takes your value away from it. It makes your money worth less. So as the United States started increasing the money supply, inflating the money supply, it was devaluing the currency. And so these other countries knew what was going on. And they're like, why do we want to hold this, these paper dollars that are worthless. We're going to go get our, our gold back. So they would bring it to the United States. They'd cash it in. They'd take the gold. And the United States was fighting really hard to protect this peg. And these countries knew what was going on. So they kept coming to redeem their gold, redeem their gold. And the United States lost a lot of money trying to protect that gold peg, or they gave up a bunch of gold. Now, we don't know how much. The Fed hasn't been audited. I sure would like to know. I know Ron Paul, who's led the charge on that for a long time, sure would like to know. But in my guess, I bet that the, F- the Fed, Fort Knox, does not have the amount of gold that they say they do. I believe they've given up a lot of it trying to protect that gold peg. And finally what happened is they had protected that peg. They gave up so much gold to where they couldn't give up any more. And finally, President Richard Nixon, 1971, said, Enough. Enough is enough. We are not protecting the peg anymore. It's done. And that's the day that the United States defaulted on their debt. That's when they bankrupt, right? They gave out dollars to people who took those dollars in exchange that they could always go back and get the gold. Now these countries are left with worthless paper that are not exchanged for anything. The United States defaulted on their debt, became bankrupt in 1971. And we're living in this post-bankruptcy world now today. All right, so now the U.S. dollar is bankrupt now. No one's going to exchange it for gold. Well, why would anybody want to hold it now? What's going to happen, right? Why would they do that? Well, the United States had to make the next, the next step. So that was 1971. By 1974, the energy, we had this energy crisis, this oil crisis that was going on, and uh, Henry Kissinger from the United States went to Saudi Arabia, which is the number one oil-producing nation in the world, and said, look, let's make a deal. You price all oil in dollars. Make sure that all oil is priced in dollars, all oil is traded in dollars, all oil is sold in dollars, and we will have your back. The United States will have your back no matter what. That was the deal. And that was a pretty secret deal, as a matter of fact. Most of this details didn't actually come out until 2016, if you can believe this. And that was the birth of the petrodollar. So gold went from being backed by gold, dollar dollar was backed by gold, and now the dollar is backed by oil. This is the birth of the petrodollar. Now, as long as Saudi Arabia is the leading oil-producing nation in the world, and as long as all... Oil is priced and, and sold in dollars. Then the United States can continue to have its reign. All right, it continue to have you know the banking system, the Swift banking system, all the banking settlements, etc. And then, of course, the United States can rule the world and we can slap sanctions on any country that doesn't bend to our will. Right. You hear about that now with Donald Trump and Iraq and Iran and sanctions against Russia, sanctions against Iran. Oh, now sanctions against China and sanctions, sanctions, sanctions. So basically we're penalizing them using our financial system. Basically turning the dollar into a weapon, weaponizing the dollar. And of course, you can imagine the countries don't like this. They don't like getting slapped on the hand all the time. Sanctions, 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 right? And eventually, they're just tired of it. And... You know, if you kick enough people out of the financial system, if you keep if you kick enough people out of any system, eventually you find yourself on the outside. And the United States has continued to push people out of the financial system, and this has happened over a long period of time. Now, not only have they done that, they've the United States has become a debtor nation. Right? We went from having gold stockpiles and become and, and the the world superpower a creditor nation to now being a debtor nation. As a matter of fact, right now we're over $22 trillion, $22 trillion of debt. Over the last 10 years, more debt has been accumulated to the national debt than all of history combined. That's how bad we are. That's how bad the debt the debt has gotten. We have over $200 trillion of unfunded liabilities. That means liabilities, that's money that we owe right now, but they're not funded. We don't have the money for that. trillion. I believe um, in the next couple of years, the interest on the debt will be more than we can afford to pay. Just the interest. We can't even pay the interest. And and interest rates are at all-time lows. When we have financial crashes... They lowered the interest rates to try to goose the economy. Well, where are they going to lower them to now? The interest rates are already so low. They can't. There's no room left. And even at these low rates, we won't even be able to afford the interest. And by 2030, which is only about 10, 11 years away, they say 100% of income from taxes, which is where we get the income from, 100% of income is going to go to senior citizens. It's going to go into, you know, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, things like that. A hundred percent will just go to that. What about welfare? What about the military? What about all these other things? There's not going to be any money left for that. So that's where the United States has gone to in just such a short period of time. And the reason why it's important to understand this is because you need to see the signs that are happening. Now with the dollar being weaponized and slapping sanctions and sanctions and sanctions, people have gotten tired of this. And as we've kicked more people out of the financial system, they've had to find a way to work in their own financial system, to create a financial system outside of the United States. In addition to that, what's been backing the United States dollar was oil. And Saudi Arabia is no longer the world superpower of oil. As a matter of fact, the United States produces enough oil to be energy independent if we want to do. But, of course, if we don't buy oil from Saudi Arabia, who will? Russia produces oil. Venezuela produces oil. Iraq produces oil. Iran produces oil. And on and on and on. And if you want to know really what gets to the root of all the wars going on in the Middle East, just look at the oil. It's all about protecting the dollar. Everything is about protecting the dollar. And Iran is producing oil and we don't like Iran. Well, Why don't we like Iran? Could it have something to do with them producing oil and selling it to Russia and China? So in 2015, China, Russia, and Iran started trading oil outside of the U.S. dollar. They started doing it in the Chinese yuan. So now they're doing business outside the U.S. dollar. Okay, well, that's bad. Um, China's a really big economy. Russia's a pretty big economy. They're trading outside the U.S. dollar. The U.S. dollar is losing its relevance. It went from 100% of settlements to 60%, 50% rates going down and down and down. So now China, Russia, Iran, they're all trading outside the U.S. dollar. They're trading oil outside the U.S. dollar. Now China uh, is doing their own uh, oil-backed futures and derivatives and things like that. All right, And that's bad. And this has been going on just for a couple of years now. And it's really been undermining the U.S. dollar. And again, if you want to look at, at the wars, all the wars are around this oil, right? It's around protecting the dollar. It's around protecting Saudi Arabia. And then this is the big piece that dropped, all right? This is the big news. Um, the SWIFT system is the way that money gets moved around the world, right? When you go to wire, when you go to wire money at the bank, you have to have a SWIFT code. It's your SWIFT, the SWIFT system. Well, there's been a new system formed to rival SWIFT, and it's called Instex. And it was uh, put together in January of 2019, and this is for the EU, for the EU to be sending money on their own system. And it just went live about two weeks ago. So now, as of two weeks ago, the EU, Germany, France, Britain and russia china and iran are all trading in their own financial system now think about this for a minute now we know i already said right china russia and and uh china russia and iran were already doing this for now four years but those were our enemies okay that's our enemies now i'm talking about our allies our friends our closest friends our closest allies our closest allies now are trading with our enemies all in their own system when the United States is on the outside. All right. The pieces have been dropping for 30, 40 years, but they're continuing to escalate. It's continuing to get more and more and more. And in the last four to five years, the U S dollar has lost so much of its power and it continues to lose its power. And now just as the last two weeks, this was a massive piece that dropped. Now, what are we seeing in, in retaliation for that? Well, when you look at Donald Trump and and uh, threatening tariffs with China, trade wars, these, this is all about the money. This is all about the money. These are currency wars. The, the United States is trying to maintain the World Reserve status. It's trying to keep the dollar in power. And it's under all types of attacks. A lot of it, well, most, I guess all of it's self-inflicted, right? I mean, if they would have kept the dollar strong, everybody would have still loved it. When the dollar went bankrupt and they rejected uh, redeeming gold in 1971, it all fell apart. They've kept it under force through oil, but now there's so much oil and there's other renewable energies that it's not as big of a deal as it is anymore. And then when you've kicked all these people out of the financial system, they've had to find another way, right? You just add all those up. But now we have technology. So now, now money, the US dollar, is under attack from Bitcoin. It's under attack from stable coins. It's under attack from other cryptocurrencies. And they get this. They get this. They haven't. They haven't got it, but they get it now. And we know this. So last week, on the same day, the president of the United States, Donald Trump, and the Fed chair, Jerome Powell, both tweeted about Bitcoin. Both of them on the same day. Imagine 10 years ago. Bitcoin wasn't even a thing. In 10 years, it's gone from a magic internet money to only being used by criminals to being a scam. Jamie Dimon says it's a scam. Um, And now the President of the United States and the Fed Chair are both talking about it at the same time. Now, they said different things. The Fed Chair, Jerome Powell, said that uh, he was asked and he said, well, um, I don't think it's really a threat. It's too small to be considered a threat right now. However, I uh, people look at it like a store of value like gold. Wow, what an endorsement for Bitcoin. That's exactly what we say. It's like a store of value. It's like a store of value. Now, the Fed chair, Jerome Powell, is basically calling it that. We couldn't have had a better endorsement bullish extremely bullish then the president of the united states goes on to say that uh, he doesn't like it he doesn't like bitcoin he doesn't like cryptocurrencies Um, he goes on to say that if facebook libra wants to have their own coin then they need to have a bank and they need to get their own banking charter and then he goes on to say that the united states dollar is the only currency and it's the best and it's the strongest it's ever been that's what he said the strongest it's ever been which is pretty ironic Considering that the Fed chair just said a few weeks ago at the FMOC meeting that the economy sucks, basically. They can't get the inflation they want. They said they can't get 2% inflation, but all the prices I pay have certainly gone up by 2%, more than 2%. But anyway, they can't get the inflation by 2%, so what are they going to do? Well, let's print up the money again. Let's fire up the printing presses. Let's uh, start the quantitative easing. Let's lower the interest rates, and let's uh, try to goose this economy again. Because it's not good. Now, what what happens when they print more money? It devalues it. Just think about that inflation devalues. When they inflate, when they make more money, it takes the value away from your money. So, Donald Trump's saying it's stronger than it's ever been. In the meantime, the Fed's printing up more money. In the meantime, Donald Trump and all the other world leaders are in a fight to see who can devalue their currency the fastest. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to devalue their currency the fastest. But yet he's tweeting saying it's stronger than it's ever been. It's not. Every time they print more money, it's weaker and weaker and weaker. Our unfunded liabilities are making us weaker and weaker and weaker. The loss of the U.S. dollar in the world market share is making us weaker and weaker and weaker. And they get this. Uh, About, what, a month ago, um, Rep Brad Sherman from California was speaking to a committee, and he said, we need to make it illegal for U.S. citizens to own cryptocurrencies. Wow, that was pretty heavy. And he knows why. And he said the reason why is because these uh, Bitcoiners, these crypto people, believe that it undermines or takes the power away from the United States government. And it, lim- it, it uh, it's a national uh, defense problem. And it will limit our ability to slap sanctions on countries like Iran. He said that like Iran. So imagine if you're Iran and you're listening to that. You're like, really? wow, thanks for giving us that play-by-play. Now we're going to go buy as much as we can, right? But he gets that. He knows that when people, <laughs> they, they 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 know that the U.S. dollar cannot compete. It can't compete against a better form of money and their only option is force. That's it. That's their only option. But it's a war that they can't win. Now, oh, that was a little bit uh, history lesson for you guys going back all the way into our current events. Look at what, this trade war is about. Look at what Trump and the other world leaders are doing. Look at the look at the language they are racing to devalue their currencies, take their value away from you, to steal your value from your money. There, the Fed is lowering rates. They're inflating the currencies. They are doing quantitative easing, which is basically buying the bonds because nobody else will buy the debt. And, the, and and now that you see this happening, compare that to the story that I gave you of how the United States took over power from Britain, went into debt, fighting wars, it gave up power to the creditor nations. Now we're fighting in never ending wars. We've taken on more debt than we can, we can take on and we're giving up power to the creditor nations. The same things are happening. It doesn't happen with a bang. It goes out with a whimper. All right. That's what's happening. That's what's going on right now. I don't think we could have a more bullish scenario for Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. There's never been a bigger use case or need case for it. A lot of people say there's no use case. Well, I think they need to open their eyes. There's never been a stronger use case. There's never been a stronger need. There's never been a more bullish case. There's more positive things going on in the world to make this a reality than ever before. And it's happening. It's happening right now. It cannot be stopped. It cannot be blocked. It cannot be prevented. Bitcoin is censorship resistant. It's mutable and it's permissionless. Facebook is having to get permission right now. Bitcoin doesn't need permission. It doesn't get permission. So I'm a bullish. Hopefully you guys are bullish. Um, That's it. I'm going to wrap this up. This is a episode I did by myself. Let me know what you guys think. If you guys want me to do more episodes by myself, I will bring uh, some more of this good content. Or if you like the interviews, let me know either way. I would love it if you'd just take a second. Please go rate and review this and let me know what you think. Drop me a note. Tweet to me, please. Number one, Mark Moss on Twitter. Number one, Mark Moss. And that's it. To your success, I'm out. Hey, if you like this episode of the Market Disruptors podcast, please help us take this to the top of the podcast charts. Just please do me a favor and rate, review, and subscribe. Taking 15 seconds to just leave a quick review goes a long way in helping us reach more people and disrupt more markets. I really appreciate you listening, and I'll see you next time on the Market Disruptors podcast.